Welcome to Voices of Taos. My name is Laura martin Baseman, and I'm the producer of this new podcast from the Taos News. Every week, we will be bringing you a voice from our Taos community. My name is Robin Martin, and I'm the owner of the Taos News. I think the reason my father started the Taos News is because my mother liked to ski so much. In 1959, she'd learned how to ski in Tres Ritos even before there were lifts there. But anyway, I've skied since I was about five, and Max Killinger here has been my ski instructor for many, many years. And I've admired him very much as an instructor, and now he's won an award from the Ski New Mexico, and I'm going to ask him about that. Max, when did you get the award, and what was it for? It was something that they made now special, and I think it's the second time they do it, and it's called the Lifetime Achievement Award. It's not uh, just from ski for a skier that did something, but the Lifetime Achievement Award. So was it for your career at Towski Valley? Yes. Okay. So Max has retired from Towski Valley. Is that right? Yes, yes. that's correct. And, but his wife, uh, Mary Doolittle, is still a teacher up there. Yes. And you live in Des Montes? Yes. Okay. With quite a few dogs, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> and you've you, been there. You've been very active hiking in the summer, and you ski Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday every, every week still. That's correct. Okay. Unless the weather is bad and I cannot see in flat light. Oh, okay. Okay. Will you tell us how old you are? I'm 89. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm going to be 90 in April. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, then I have another 20 years to ski, so yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so how many years were you at Towski Valley? Actively? Yes. 53 years. 53 years. And were you always a ski instructor? Did you have other uh, jobs up there? No, I was just there in the winter, in the summer. I did my own business. You did, you, uh, did woodworking, right? Uh, construction. And construction. And you're a fine woodworker, I think. Yes, that depends who, okay. who critically you want to be. <laughs> Is there anywhere that people in Taos can see the uh, woodworking no, jobs? No, I've, no, I've done it quite it, a while ago. I'm, it's finished. Okay. Yeah, I'm retired. Okay. So I want to talk a lot about your career as a ski instructor, but my first question is, what is the most important thing that you taught your students on the mountain? Oh, I think the first one would be safety. And the second one is to have fun while learning. Okay, and not technique as much, but to be safe and to uh, enjoy themselves. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, you taught all levels of skiers, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, but you uh, often taught very advanced classes, I remember. That's correct. I remember going with you on a, a climb up, to the top of Kachina Peak. That's correct. And I'm going to try to... Yes, do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> it was so windy, I thought I was going to blow over. <laughs> but I was so impressed that you could tell me that the geology up there yes. was one of the oldest in the world. Yes, yes. Yeah. It, billions of years old. Yeah. <laughs> so we looked at all the rocks all around and saw the Rocky yeah. Mountains. Yeah. So I would love to know... Uh, how, a little bit of your history. Can you tell me about 
your early days in Germany and how you learned to ski? Yeah, I was born in 34, and uh, my father came back from furlough during the war. Yes. And he took me out skiing. I think I was eight years old. And then I didn't, this was just for one day. And then I didn't ski anymore till about 50, 51 or 52. Because you lost your father because he was uh, taken prisoner by the Russians, is that yes, correct? Yes, and he died in a Russian prison camp. And then you must have, it must have been very difficult after the war for you and your family. Yes, it was very difficult. Yeah. And uh, my mother was probably the most wonderful person in the world, but she was not very self-assertive. So when I was... Uh, at that age, about 14 or so, I had to basically take over the family. Yes. And, you know, my sister was three years younger than I was. Yes. And uh, we survived it all. And then you learned to ski in Germany? Yes. You, you were working and yes. you had enough money to buy a lift ticket and you learned how to ski. And that was when they had wooden skis and... That's right. The first, the first pair of skis I had was actually from my father. Oh. Okay, and they were made out of ash. Ash. Because hickory was not ported from uh, the United States. And I went into a, a little tip and broke the tip. And so I had to get my own. Oh. <laughs> so you became quite a good skier, and your first skiing job was, where was that? Well, I I was, uh, for three years, I was the mountain manager of a ski resort in Australia called Mount Hossam. And how was that? Was that a good resort? I've never heard of it. That was just, uh, now it's a big resort, but at that time it only had two hotels, a big rope tow that was about uh, as long and as steep as going up Elsran, yes. and another one for beginners. And people couldn't, of course, hold on with their hands on the rope tail, so they had what they called nutcrackers with a belt, and you flipped it around and hold on with the with the rope with the nutcracker. Oh, my goodness! So they came, and they were probably didn't know much about snow, right? Because a lot of them came from the coast. Well, I mean, like most of them came from Melbourne. Yeah. And uh, they had a university hut up there. They was pretty popular. It was just a really run-by-mill operation. My my first wife there ran the cafeteria, and I sold lift tickets and uh, operated the lift and maintained it. Yeah. So uh, your your late wife Teresa was. She didn't teach skiing. She just no, no. She operated. We, we the... both didn't teach skiing. Uh -huh. We had uh, two Austrian ski instructors <laughs> that came uh, because it's their summer in Austria. They came here, and uh, the Drift Chalet, which was the other hotel, they had one from the United States, from Utah. And then after you were in um, Australia, you came to the United States, I believe. No, I first went. I first went back to Germany. But I lasted only about half a year. We got married there, and uh, I looked for a job here in, in the United States. And by trade, actually, I was a tool and die maker. You went to Chicago? Is yes, that, is I that was right? in yeah. Chicago. Yeah. So how did you find out about skiing in the United States? Well, I mean, I was on a budget. 
and the cheapest way to get to the Rockies was taking the Santa Fe Railroad that went overnight from Chicago all the way to Raton, and there was a bus service from Raton to Taos at that time, and we arrived in Taos around 2 o'clock in the afternoon the next day. My goodness. <laughs> and so then you went up the mountain and you stayed up there in one of the lodges? and Yes, uh, I stayed up in the Thunderbird Lodge. I see. <laughs> and uh, did you meet Ernie Blake on that first trip? Yes, I did. And tell me about meeting him. Well, you know, uh, I was in Jean Maïs' class, okay, and so was Teresa. And then Jean... I asked him one day if uh, there would be a possibility that I could be an instructor there. And he said, you have to talk to Ernie. So I talked to Ernie and he said, I've already nine starving instructors. I don't need another one. And uh, so then on Thursday, he announced to all the lodges that he would take a guided tour up to Kachina. And some people had no business going up there. I think the poor ski patrol came down at 6.30 with the last stragglers. But uh, he went up there like a Benji, and I said, I'm going to die in the process, <laughs> but he's not going to leave me in the dust. <laughs> and when we were on top, huffing and puffing, he offered me a job. Oh, good for him. <laughs> so you came the next, the next season? The next season. And yeah. then you were there for 50, 50, three, 53 three years. years. Did you always live down in the valley, or did you live up on the no, ski? No, uh, the first couple of three or four years, we lived in a in a little hut called uh, Alpina. That was just under the old chair, one a little bit across from Saint Bernard Lodge. I remember that. Yeah, and there yeah. were some pretty wild parties there when I was a teenager. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, those were the days at Taos when there was a lot of powder snow and there wasn't much packing and there wasn't a large ski patrol, right? You, you the, the no, instructors? No, we, we had... all, the instructors all had to have a, a Red Cross certificate and that's all it, it needed nowadays. You have to have an EMT to be a ski patroller. And uh, I had to help sometimes uh, with some of the injured people to uh, bring them down in a toboggan. And my first wife got run into on on Els on the head run, head wall of Els run. Yes. And had a spiral fracture, and it was Shomaye and myself who had to bring her down Els run because we had only one other ski patrol, and he was not able to do that. And how how did you bring her down? In the toboggan. It, but on that road that went no, back no, and forth. No, 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 just straight down. Straight down else. Oh, my goodness. With Jean Maillet. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You were very strong men back then. Yeah. So, but those were the days when it, it snowed a lot, right? Yes. And, and it was always uh, through April, I think, you could ski. You, but could, I, yeah. you could actually... Uh, if you skied on the side after a snowfall, you could ski the second day on the side and get fresh powder on Els Run. Oh, because there were so few people yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. And not too many could actually handle the powder. Yes. And and you taught people to ski the powder how? What did you tell them? Well, you have to be a little more bouncy, okay? 
and don't finish the turn so much, but ski more down the fall line. I see. And be on both skis instead of one or the other. And and your weight is? Is in the middle. In the middle, right over your skis, yes, right? Yes, and yeah. most people ski the tail of the skis. Yes. Because they're afraid they're going to bury the tips. <laughs> and I'm sure you had to dig a lot of your students out of uh, deep tree wells and everything. Yes, I was... I got the information from a ski patroller that they're going to open Lorelei. And it had so much snow in it that when most, most of my people in the class fell and they had the hardest time to get up. So I came out of this one run at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and we were all exhausted. That's oh, how much snow we had. It was a morning class and yeah. it took you... That long, oh my God! I've I remember skiing Longhorn with you in, in snow like that. So we should take a break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. And I'm going to tell you the story about my mother's adventure in uh, uh, Max's class. I'm Isabel Pena a media specialist here at the Taos News. Keep your eyes open for this year's Well Taos, a medical and wellness directory, and the Taos Gallery Guide, Taos's premier guide to fine art places and creative spaces. Find your copy around Taos in the Enchanted Circle and in your Taos News subscription. So we're talking to Max Killinger, and I have a few questions about his career at Taos Ski Valley. So I'd like to know how skiing has changed between the time that you got here and Ernie offered you your job on the top of Kachina Peak, right? Yes. <laughs> and now, the, the last few years when after you retired, what's, what's different in the skiing at Taos Ski Valley? Well, I mean, there's a lot of changes. One of the first ones is... The equipment these days is so much better than the old wooden skis and the, the leather boots, okay? Mm -hmm. And also, uh, significantly, the grooming, okay? That permits so much more, many more people to uh, ski uh, mostly out of control because of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> my, my feeling is that uh, nowadays, when I look around, to make a turn is admitting defeat. Everybody wants to go straight, and that's pretty dangerous. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was little, uh, I was always afraid of Ernie Blake because he would come out and punish kids in some way or another for uh, skiing straight down or skiing out of bounds. Yeah. I had to go see him several times when I skied okay. out of bounds. So the... Uh, the skis are now shorter and wider and um, less, and they have more more flex in them, correct? So, Well, the shape is different, okay? It's more of an hourglass shape than the old skis. They were almost parallel in uh, their shape. They're much easier to ski on. Yes. Okay, than the old skis. In order to really make a good turn, which I'm a purist about that, uh, most, uh, I would say 95% of the people don't even know how to use the ski well. 
I see, because I've had a lot of people tell me that ski weeks uh, really aren't necessary anymore because the skis are so easy to ski on that, that you don't need to uh, have a teacher for more than a few days. That's correct, unless you go into the steeps and the bumps. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. Now, did you ever try snowboarding? No, I haven't. Okay. It was offered to me. Yes. But at that time, it was too old. <laughs> well, our do- my daughter, Laura, over here, she uh, snowboards, but usually with people who aren't as good skiers as her, so she won't get bored. So she goes snowboarding, so when they're falling down, she's falling down, and it works pretty well. Okay. <laughs> so you, you worked for many, many years for a real character for Ernie Blake and for his wife, Rhoda. Do you have any specific stories that you could share with our listeners about Ernie? Well, you know, Ernie was a very uh, socially engaged man, and he liked to have company around in his apartment up there, but Rhoda was more of an introverted, more of a private person, so basically she spent most of her life in her bedroom. Mm -hmm. Okay, but Ernie uh, was entertaining you know, all kinds of people. And uh, he was uh, very much of a charmer, and he was smart enough that he invited a lot of people from newspapers and magazines to come up and stay with him for three or four days, and they always wrote glorified articles about the ski valley, and that was probably the most inexpensive uh, advertising you can have. Yes, I remember reading those, and I think... Jean Maillet in the in his restaurant up at the St. Bernard had quite a few framed in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you and Ernie get along well? I know that when he was failing that you, you talked to him quite a bit. Well what happened is when we when we arrived up on Kachina, that was the first test. Yes. But Ernie had a tendency to test people till they stood up to him yes. or they quit. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh he, I had a dog at that time from Chicago, and Ernie walked over there every night to the ski and cricket club. You remember the yes, A-frame? Yes, I do, yes. Okay. It's on the and, beginner's hill. Yeah, on the beginner's hill. And uh, my dog followed him because I found out later on that he gave scrap to him when he was done with his dinner. But every day he said to me, your dog is pooping on my beginner's hill and I have to shoot him or I have to fire you. And finally I said to his daughter, I mean, I can handle so much, but not this continuous thing. And after that he was very friend. Uh, we became friends, but he tested everybody. He did, and I remember his dog bit me. Oh, <laughs> so yeah? He had a terrible dog, <laughs> so he shouldn't have spoken like Was it Spooksy? No, no, I don't remember what it was called. Uh, it was an old dog. When you were teaching skiing, you had private lessons, but you also had ski weeks, right? Yes. So you would start out on Sunday, and the, all the students would ski down a hill, and someone would judge their skiing, and then you'd be, they'd be putting different classes. Right. Okay. That's correct. So do you have any stories from any of your ski classes that you might tell me? I have one. Uh, my mother was... Uh, skied every year before Christmas, and she and her friends from Santa Fe would come up and, and stay at Dadumaye's hotel, Edelweiss. the Edelweiss. 
and they'd spend a ski week there, and they were all in class together, and they were with Max, and he had them lined up on a place that's called Goldmine Corner. It's just before the uh, catwalk that comes down to the bottom. And some woman was out of control and ran into the class, even though they were lined up on the side, and knocked my mother down and broke her neck. And my mother was less concerned about her injury than that Max would kill the the woman who'd hit her. And uh, (laughs) he didn't. And it turned out that this woman was my aunt's next-door neighbor in Wichita Falls, Texas. So this this, uh, skier woman uh, paid all my mother's medical bills. But my mother had a problem. She was uh, going with Georgia O'Keeffe to a museum opening in Houston, I think on Robert O. Anderson's private plane. And she had a broken neck. and She didn't know what to do. So she asked the doctor and the doctor said, well, just don't move your neck and you'll be okay. So my mom went to the opening with Georgia O'Keeffe and, and she was fine. And she skied for another 25 years. <laughs> she skied until she was in her 80s. So do you have any more stories like that, Max? Well, I mean, there was one story where, you know, uh, when, when we haven't gotten snow lately, the snow gets pretty hard, yes. and when people fall in the steeps, you know, they can actually slide down, what we call body surfing, okay, and that's pretty scary. Yeah. And uh, I had one uh, one of my students that uh, slid, that was on, on snake dance. She was heading for the trees with like 40 miles an hour, and I, I stopped her by holding, by stopping her, by grabbing her shoulder, she was head first coming down. And later on, she wanted to sue me for having a stiff neck. <laughs> well, I hope she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> and, you know, you you probably remember. Yes, but I, don't mention names, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You had a friend. I had a friend. She's a good friend of mine, actually. Yeah. And she, go ahead. <laughs> so anyway, uh, she always took private lessons from me, from that two or from Alan, okay? And one day uh, she uh, handed Alan an envelope and handed me an envelope. There was supposedly to be tips in there. And uh, she had mistaken Alan's envelope for mine and vice versa. So when I opened my, my one up, she paid Alan more than myself. And uh, so I said, what's the matter with you? I mean, like, we treated each other equally, and he said, well, he has children and you don't mix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. That's true. You don't have any children. <laughs> but you do have some very nice dogs. I remember you were in an avalanche once on Lorelei. No, I think it was some baby shoot. Okay. Okay, and I was coming down with another one of my students and her nephew. He went first because it was fresh powder, and I saw it break. Then it came from top to, and I had to hold on to a tree in order not to be swept away, and uh-huh. it took all my strength to hold on to the tree. But I was never buried. You were never buried, and not then, even. And then another time was when a uh, Kandahar shoot was still open. Yes. You remember that? 
they bring I remember the, that. They I never skied it. They all the way it. down to yeah. the Kinderhall yes. from the catwalk. And this was in the spring, and I had a group of students from uh, Wisconsin. They were on a spring break, and we came down, and I looked down, Kinderhall shoot, and contemplating of skiing down there. And there were two people, uh, two boys, 11 and 12 year old, and they skied down, and the avalanche broke. And they were both buried pretty deep down. And I skied down in the debris and uh, found their muffled voices and dug up their heads so they could breathe. And then I went to the candle hall to get a shovel. And I didn't think too much about it, but Mickey thought I was a hero. So I have a certificate signed by President Nixon that I saved two people's life <laughs> from the Red Cross. That's Mickey Blake who who got you the certificate. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Uh, but were those boys in your class? No, no, no. no they no, just. No. But I mean, the the best part was that I saw them later on when they were grown up, mm-hmm. and they came up to me and said, "Thank you, Max, for saving my life." Okay. That was a really poignant moment. That was nice. Yeah, we're almost done now, but I just want to say that you are skiing, and and how would people recognize you on the slopes? <laughs> Or do you want them to? But can no, they, they'd love to no, probably ski by no, and say hello. Yeah, sure. But what happened is so many people wanted to always ski with me. Yeah. Okay. And after all those years with classes, I actually prefer to ski by myself. Okay. Oh, I see. And uh, I'm not really that much of a social skier where I stand up on top of the lift and say, where well, we're going now and then argue about it. I just go, you know. And... Uh, this way, I get much more, my, much more, more runs in than well, talking. People can wave at you yeah, and say yeah, hi. That's sure, what I always sure. do. <laughs> so. And it's coming to the point when somebody on the chair said to me, can I ride up with you? I said, yes, but don't ask me where I'm coming from. Okay. Because I've answered the question a million times Yes. because of my accent. Yes, that's <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> Well, you have a good accent, but you and Ernie Blake didn't speak German together, right? Oh, yes. You did speak, yes, yeah. Yes, And we talked mostly about what happened after the war. I see. Yeah, because, I mean, I was old enough, you know, to remember a lot of things, and he was in the, in the American Army in, in intelligence. Yes, and you were just a young boy. Not quite. <laughs> I was at least 30 or Oh, during the war, yes. Yes, during the war. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Max. You're and uh, it's snowing now, so we're looking forward well, we to next need, week. We need some snow. Yes. Thank you for joining us for Voices of Taos, a podcast by the Taos News, produced by Laura Martin Baseman. Our music was produced and arranged by Miles Bonney. Featuring musicians Francisco Velarde, Ruben Hernandez, and Margot Macias. Please join us next week for another episode of Voices of Taos.